Awesome. All right, it's, it's been a while since I've spoken in front of you guys. Um, I was preaching pretty regularly on Sunday nights, and uh, since the summer came, we've been off from that. And uh, I haven't spoken in front of a Sunday morning group since December, um, and we've had a lot of people coming in and out, a lot of faces I don't really recognize. So I just thought I would take a minute to kind of give you guys my backstory here at the Vineyard. Um, I started hanging out here in college, probably about 2006, 2007, um, and got involved in the, the worship team, got plugged in that way. And then uh, Emily and I got married here at the Vineyard. Ray Hollenbach's here. He did our wedding. Good to see you, Ray. <laughs> and then after college, um, we left. Emily and I left. I was a youth pastor for over two years at a church in Mee County. But really that whole time, this has always been home to us. Um, we thought about you guys the whole time we were gone. We prayed for you. We kept tabs on what was going on, what the Lord was doing. Um, and we got to come back just about a year ago, and we've been here, and we've just been blessed to be home again. Um, and now I'm uh, one of the community group leaders and um, working at CU, and life is good. <laughs> so, All right, this morning we're going to jump back into our Daniel series. We kind of took the month of June off, so we're, we're getting back to it in a good way this morning with Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles up to there, it's a pretty familiar passage. Um, I'd ask Jesse to put in the newsletter this week just a little note um, reminding you guys maybe to refresh and read that chapter. Um, maybe you saw that, maybe you didn't, just because we've been gone for the last month as far as the book of Daniel goes. Um, but if you didn't get to it, that's okay. Uh, most of us, I would say, are familiar with the story of the fiery furnace. Right? Um, it's right up there for favorite like child, children's Sunday school stories with Noah and the ark and Moses and the Red Sea. I think those are the two I kind of put it up there. Like Those would be like the top three maybe, uh, children's Sunday school stories. By the way, okay, does it, has anybody ever asked yourself why Noah and the Ark is a, a really good children's Sunday school story? Like, besides the animals, what part of that story do we think is safe for kids? <laughs> just, just think about it for a minute. Maybe, maybe it'll hit you later. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, um, Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. It's really familiar. And when we're talking about these really familiar stories or we uh, – Maybe they're, they're scheduled for our daily devotion or something. We have this really unique challenge because we think we know the story, right? Um, it feels familiar to us. We've heard it before. And so there's this, this real temptation. I know I feel it anyways, to approach these stories um, with, with our preconceived notions or our past experience. And, and instead of being hungry for the revelation that God has for us, we look at it with nostalgia, and so that can kind of get in the way and, can, and be a block for us receiving fresh revelation from the Lord. Um, so that's kind of one, of one of our challenges this morning because the text is really rich. It's really rich. Um, it, has, you know, it has more for us than just that story that you heard when you were a kid. The me in my mid-20s will receive something and probably needs to receive something different from the story than the me that was in the third grade Sunday school class. So that's one of our challenges when we approach these really familiar stories, and we don't want that to, to block us from receiving from the Lord 
this morning. So we just want to open ourselves up to it. And um, before we dive into the story, let's just, let's just ask the Lord to come even more. Father, will you remove all the roadblocks that we may have put up in our hearts, in our minds, from receiving from you fresh revelation today? Lord, would you speak to us in a new way? Would you open our eyes to what you're doing in our lives right now? Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. All right, you can follow along in chapter 3. I'm going to... I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's 30 verses, but I'm going to try to paraphrase the story, basically, so you can kind of follow along and see where I'm at. But um, the story basically starts with King Nebuchadnezzar. He decides he's going to commission this really big golden statue. This really big image of gold um, is one of the ways the Scripture puts it. It measures 90 feet tall. Some of you have the Bibles that are really particular about translations, and it will say like 60 cubits. Others of you, it says 90 feet. We all know what 90 feet is, so that's how we understand it. Um, so he builds this really tall statue, and then he, he begins to gather all of his officials, his rulers, his governors from across his kingdom. You know, the Babylonian Empire was really wide. It went from about Egypt the Mediterranean Sea, and went over to the Persian Gulf. Um, So he gathered all these people, and it was a huge event. Everybody came, and he had this dedication service. I don't know about you, but when I hear dedication service, that's a term I'm familiar with in our culture, and I have uh, like a certain preconceived notion with what it means, right? Like a a bunch of people gather together. They're going to dedicate a building. You know, some pleasantries are exchanged. Some speeches made. Maybe a red ribbon is cut, they unveil a plaque, and then everybody goes eats crappy reception food. <laughs> Watered-down punch and no-brand cookies. That's, that's the image I get anyways. This was something different. <laughs> just, just to put it bluntly, this is totally different. Um, and one of the things we need to understand is that this image of gold, this golden statue, it was an idol. That was its purpose. It was an idol that he had set up. And its entire purpose was to be worshipped. I think it's really easy to think of this similarly to in the book of Exodus when the Israelites asked Aaron to melt down all of their gold and build this golden calf, and they worshipped it. It was really similar, except for King Nebuchadnezzar went all out. 90-foot-tall idol for everybody to worship. And... And here, what Nebuchadnezzar was doing is he was testing the loyalty of all of his governors, all of his officials, all of the rulers in his court. Um, See, because these officials, they represented every nation, every race, every tribe and tongue in the world, basically, because the Babylonian Empire was just that big. And many of them, like the Israelites, had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians. And Nebuchadnezzar, he had this practice. He would appoint natives to be the governors and and to be the rulers over different provinces in his kingdom. So all of these officials represented the different nations that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. And not only that, they represented the religions and the gods that Nebuchadnezzar had conquered. Because the belief was then, at that time, when one nation conquered another, it meant that that nation's gods were stronger, they were more powerful um, because they had overpowered the gods and the religion of the, of the conquered nation. So, 
at this dedication service, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just showing his might, proving that he had conquered them, but he was trying to dominate them completely. This was about total domination, total submission from all of his officials. Um, One of the things I realized as I was reading the text this time is that I'd always grown up thinking when I read this passage that the statue was this 90-foot tall um, statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. That was like this, just this notion that I had. And if you read the text, it doesn't actually say that. But it's really easy to make that assumption, especially if you think about Daniel chapter 2, right? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream in it. There's this big, tall statue. And, and the head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar, right? So it's really easy to kind of make that assumption. And it's a possibility, but it's just one of those examples that our preconceived notions may, may or may not be true because we don't really know whether or not it was King Nebuchadnezzar. It, could, it was just as likely that it would have been one of the Babylonian gods that he had set up. So I just thought that was a, a really interesting observation that I, it occurred to me this time. Either way, if it was the statue of Nebuchadnezzar or if it was one of the Babylonian gods, the expectation was clear. Every single one of his subjects was going to bow down and worship it. And there wasn't going to be a choice either, right? Because as a backdrop to this dedication service was this tall, fiery furnace that was stoked, burning hot, ready to go. And the threat was bow down and worship or be thrown into the flames. So there was no choice. And um, I think it's really interesting too, that furnace was there not just because... um, he was going to kill anybody that didn't obey him. But Nebuchadnezzar was really shrewd, and that was the furnace that they had used to melt down the gold and, and build the statue in the first place. So, um, you know, he's a really creative man, not wasting his resources. Um, always <laughs> always able to come up with an efficient strategy of killing people, Nebuchadnezzar was. <laughs> and uh, Nebuchadnezzar also had gathered up an orchestra for the event. I know it's really easy to read all those those instruments. Some of them are familiar, some of them are not, and think, man, that must have sounded like chaos and just crazy noise. But um, Babylon, Babylonia was the, the greatest country in the world at that time, so they would have had the most talented musicians put together an orchestra. And I thought this was really interesting, too, how he ties worship and music together in this dedication service. That's something that's really familiar, familiar to us as a church. It's um, worship and music has been a part of the church since the very beginning, um, and it's it's just a really cruel shadow, dark shadow of what God intends for our own lives, right? Um, because music is so important in worship, because sometimes music can say things that we can't say with words, and we need that kind of that emotion um, that comes with music to really connect our hearts to God. Um, so it just shows you even how more evil and dark the situation was. So when um, the orchestra would play, the expectation everybody would bow down, and um, everyone did at this service. Everyone did, no matter their race, no matter their nationality, no matter what language they spoke. When the music played, everybody bowed down. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty successful, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Jews who remain standing. And I I think it's really interesting that the crowd must have been so large 
that when the music played, that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see the three Jews standing up as he looked across the crowd, right? Because accusers had to come to him. The accusers came forward, and they were malicious. They, um, in some of the translations, it might say that like, they just denounced the Jews. But really, they were malicious, and they were bitter in their jealousy. The way that they accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... And they jumped at the chance to confront the king about these threes. And they brought three charges against him. The first was um, an insult to the king. They paid no attention to his commandments. They, did pay, they paid no attention to him. They did not serve the king's gods. And they refused to worship the golden image the king had set up. So those are the three charges brought against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, these accusers, they also did not hesitate to remind the king what the punishment would be for, the, um, for these offenses, right? For them to be thrown into the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar was furious, right? Um, really upset that his plan hadn't gone off completely without a hitch. And he brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him to question them in front of everybody. You think it this way. Um, it, but even in his anger... These three guys had some sort of favor with Nebuchadnezzar. At least that's, that's the impression I get. Because instead of throwing them in immediately, even though the Bible says he was furious, he at least gave them a second chance, right? He said, you know, okay, we'll, we'll let the band play again. And when the music starts, you can just bow down and we'll put this matter behind us, right? But I love the fact that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even go through the farce of allowing the music to start up again. Um, and instead, they, they spoke directly to King Nebuchadnezzar. And I want to read their, their, um, what they said word for word from the text. So, Seth, if you would put up uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Yeah. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I couldn't have said that better, so I thought we might need to put it on the wall. You know, it's so good. Um, needless to say, really, this this response from the three had King Nebuchadnezzar enraged at this point. Before he was furious, now he's enraged. Okay, So in his anger, he commands his men to stoke the fire seven times hotter than normal, which is just a creative way of saying, as hot as you can possibly make it. <laughs> right? Um, and then... In another show of his might, he gathered up his strongest men, and he said, bind these guys up, tie them down. Um, Don't even go to the trouble of taking off their clothes. (laughs) So they were bound in full robes, full tunics, turbans and all. And then these strong men went to throw them into the flames. Um, But the, the furnace was so hot that they were killed in the process. They got too close. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up falling into the fire. And I think it's, it's awesome that it was pretty much immediately that Nebuchadnezzar 
realizes what's going on, and he's shocked. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were fully clothed. clothed. When they got close enough to the the fire, the fabric should have just erupted in flames, right? Which I think is probably what happened to the soldiers. Um, But as they fell in, the only thing that was removed was the ropes that had bound, bound them. And instead, Nebuchadnezzar saw four men, four men in the flames. And one of them, he said, looked like a god. So astonished and humbled at this point, Nebuchadnezzar calls out the three from the, ver- the furnace, which I also think is interesting. Like, maybe call out the fourth one too, talk to him a little bit, but I don't know. <laughs> but... uh. But everyone there that witnessed this was amazed because they immediately recognized what it was. It was a miracle, right? Because the hair on their head wasn't touched, their clothing hadn't been scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. And then um, I do want to read this in uh, verses 28 through 30, the last bit of the chapter, what Nebuchadnezzar says in response to all of this. So then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. All right. So that's the story. So what can it say to us today? Um, For me, the part that I really focused on when I read it this time around, and the, the pinnacle of all of this occurs in verses 16 through 18, the first group of verses that we read. Um, It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the king's king's situation he he set up here. Um, And to me, this is the climax because what this story is really about is a group of men who have completely devoted their lives to God. And they have anchored themselves in that devotion in the Lord. Because um, the truth of the matter is, is that this wasn't one great thing that these three guys did, but they have set themselves on the course to the fiery furnace long time ago. Long time ago, they made the decision to anchor themselves in the Lord. And it wasn't just this great moment um, in front of the crowds, in front of all the rulers where they denounced the gods of Babylon, and they, and they denounced King Nebuchadnezzar. But a long time ago, they had purposed in their heart that they would follow no other god but God. Um, so their actions were an evidence of this lifelong devotion. And I, in talking to a couple of people this week about uh, martyrs and Christian martyrs, people that um, find the strength to um, give up their lives, like quite literally in the act of, of dying um, in service to the Lord. 
um, I think we, we have a tendency to think that these people are, are maybe special. They're, um, they, they've given supernatural natural grace in the moment. Um, we always look at those people, um, whether it were the Christian martyrs um, in the Roman Empire that maybe died at the hands of Nero or um, martyrs that, that die in the hands of communist regimes even today or Islamic regimes today, uh, we have a tendency to ask ourselves, you know, if I were in that situation, could I do the same thing? Because they seem like they're really special. They seem like they're um, super spiritual and that God must just give them extra grace to handle that moment, right? But the reality is, are these are just people who have purposed themselves to wholly commit themselves over to God. It wasn't about one moment, but it was about a lifetime of devotion. And so to me, the, the key to anchoring ourselves in the Lord and, and being wholly devoted to Him is, um, especially in the really the most difficult situations we could imagine, is to begin in lesser situations where the stakes aren't as high to choose God. So that, that's something that can start today. You know, I, there's, there's smaller situations where I can choose God today. Um, if we think back to Daniel 1, the history of these three guys, King Nebuchadnezzar had taken a group of young men from conquered, his conquered people, the conquered Israelites, and he was going to train them up to be um, you know, some of the rulers, some of the officials that we were talking about. Um, these excellent men, he called them. And um, one of the things he did was he, Nebuchadnezzar was going to try to feed them meat and wine. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the four of them, drew a line and they said, no, we will not eat that meat because they had been forbidden to do so. Um, the meat had been sacrificed to idols and, and it, was, it was one of those commandments that they were not willing to break. Now, the stakes there weren't life and death at the moment. Uh, maybe the stakes were, because um, what they decided to do instead was eat water, or eat vegetables and drink water instead of the meat and wine. Maybe the stakes were just that they would be a little bit weaker for it. Um, but they decided that they would not sin against God in that way, so they chose God in that, in that matter. And the Lord was faithful to them, and they ended up being healthier than anyone else. Um, also, being really good young Jews, that these three are, they would have known the scriptures. They would have known the Old Testament, the stories about um, Israel's deliverance from Egypt, um, about how the Lord provided for them every day in the desert, how the Lord had given them um, the land that was promised to them. And so they were familiar with, with these stories, and they were able to say in that moment, you know, they could always say that, you know, our God is able to save us because we know his history. We know how good, he's been good, how good he has been to us. And I really love the fact that they didn't offer up any excuses when they stood before King Neb, right? Um, they said, we're not going to defend ourselves. They weren't even about tr- to try to pander to the situation even though they were standing in front of this huge crowd, um, the furnace was right there. They knew what was at stake, and they weren't impressed, right? Because King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to um, exert his will 
and the force of his kingdom over all of his, his subjects. And they weren't impressed because they had put all of their trust in God. And so what you see in their history is that they didn't just have this firm assurance from scripture, from the scripture that they knew, um, but they had a, a larger experience, personal experience to go back on of, of God's faithfulness. Because if you look in Daniel 2, this was a life and death situation that they were, they were faced with. If you remember, because King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream that deeply troubled him. And he asked all of his wise men, tell me the dream and then I can trust you to give me the interpretation. And all the wise men said, oh, king, not a single wise man on this planet could do that. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and so he ordered the execution of all of them, which would have included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even though Daniel was the shrewd one in that matter, it said, no, give us more time. We will, we will discover the dream, and we will give the interpretation. He had gathered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with him to pray that night. And they all petitioned the Lord for the answers, and God came through. So you see there's this escalation in their history of, of a smaller yes when they, when they refused to eat the meat that was sacrificed. And then this, this yes to be faithful to God, to trust him for the answers in the face of a life and death situation in Dan, Daniel chapter 2. Um, and so they had not just the scriptures to fall back on to place their tra- trust in the Lord, but they had their personal experience. And I think that's why we really value the presence of God here in this place, right, at the vineyard. We really value the presence of God, and we value experience with the Lord. It's because we need it, right? We need that personal experience. The, the, words, the words on the page of the Bible are great, and they are true, but for me to grow and become a person wholly devoted to God and anchored in Him, I have to choose God in every situation. And I need to recognize when He actually um, comes through for me. I need that personal experience with Him. I love the fact that this morning we had this theme of thankfulness through worship. Anybody pick up on that? <laughs> kind of hard not to, right? Um, it's important to recognize the times in your life when the Lord's been good to you and to be thankful for them. I think all of us probably have, have times where later on after the fact, after everything was done, we realize, oh, the Lord delivered me from this situation. But maybe in that moment you didn't recognize it. Um, so, but we need to be able to point those things out and be thankful for them. Like Earlier this week I was joking with some friends about... Um, Emily and I, uh, I joked that that we probably shouldn't have gotten married when we did. And the only thing I meant by that was that our financial situation at the time that we got married was a joke. <laughs> like, from all practical standpoints, we probably shouldn't have gotten married because we didn't really have the finances for it. Thankfully, the Lord's really good. And... Um, Everything else considered, we were golden. <laughs> but the Lord's really good. Um, and, uh, you know, we just placed our trust in each other and in the Lord. And we've never been late on a bill, never not once. You know, we've always had everything that we needed. Um, even in, in the situation of moving back here to this area, um, when we decided to move here, we really felt like the Lord's leading Emily had a job, and I didn't. About a month later, 
maybe two weeks before we decided to move, I finally got a job. And the Lord was definitely in that moment. And I'm totally thankful. You know, we need to recognize these, these times in our lives where the Lord's come through. If we're going to be people who are, who are anchored in the Lord and in devotion to him, we need, we need to express our thankfulness and recognize when he's come through for us. Um, scripture is great. It's really good. And you should draw strength from it. But you need strength from your personal experience from it as well. We have to crave God's presence. We just do. <laughs> um, another, another moral I get from this story is, is something that we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago. Is, and it's that survival in life is not the ultimate goal. Survival is not the ultimate goal. Because the, the preservation of your life isn't in your hands, right? Never has been, never was, never will be. And that's been true for every person who's ever been born, who ever lived. Um, but there are plenty of people who choose to live like it is, right? Um, King Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot tall statue. That says to me a couple of things. One, you know, like we were talking about before, he's trying to exert his, his power and his authority over his kingdom. But I think part of that, too, you know, you don't build a 90-foot tall statue unless you also think, you know, I want this to be my legacy for, you know, for lives beyond me. You know, when, when I'm dead and gone, there will be generation after generation that sees this statue and remembers that I was a powerful and great king. Just for f- some perspective, I found out this fact. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, if you think back to the ancient wonders of the world, the Colossus of Rhodes statue was 100 and feet, 105 feet hall, tall. Ugh. I don't speak for a living. I can throw that in there. <laughs> 105 feet tall, right? So it was just 15 feet off of a wonder of the world. I thought that was kind of interesting. So he built this sub-wonder in his kingdom for people to worship, to protect his legacy long after he was gone. The Egyptians, um, they built the pyramids, right? We still have those. We see them. They've, they've lasted 4,000 years, right? And they weren't just pretty marks on the landscape, but they, you know, they were supposed to be a preservation of, of their legacy, a preservation of their mortality, really, because the pharaohs would mummify themselves, and these would be their tombs for all time. At least that's what they were attempting. And then for us today, you know, we have plenty of people that just work and work and work and work, and hard work's not a bad thing, but their, their only goal really is to amass this great fortune and to build it up and to try to accumulate a whole lot of things so that their legacy could be preserved for longer than they live. But the truth is, is that we will all pass away, right? The scripture puts it, um, you know, we are like the grass that withers. Maybe you've noticed um, a couple of weeks ago, the fields that are green are now turning brown. (laughs) You know, they are withering away. Um, And uh, Adam talked about this a couple of weeks ago, this concept about survival is not the highest goal. So if that's not true, then what is? Our highest goal should be the love of God. 
right? Um, our highest goal is the love of God, that, that we would be loved by him and that we would love him. And Jesus, he bought us freedom from death so that we don't have to be afraid. That we can actually attain love. Our self-preservation we can't attain, but what we can't attain is love. And, and the awesome thing about this is that no, no man, Scripture says, no man can snatch you away from the love of God. That's his promise. Um, the situation in Daniel 3, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being faced with the fiery furnace. Um, I know this probably isn't true for everyone, but burning alive seems to me like it might be the worst way to go. <laughs> um, I mean, I hate it when I just burn my hands cooking or something. Um, but even in the face of that horrible possibility, these three guys were steadfast in their love to God. And I think it's because they had chosen this path a long time ago. They had chosen devotion. They had chosen to anchor their lives in God's love. Um, So I've really been focusing on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, But the other part of the story that most people would say is the climax as well, and I don't necessarily disagree with them, is what God did after they expressed their devotion. I mean, that was a miracle, <laughs> right? Um, oftentimes, like we have miracles that happen in this room all the time. I think we maybe saw some this morning. But most of the time, I have to take your word for it because I really don't know how you're feeling and I don't know how you were feeling before. But for everybody that was there at this event, they recognized immediately that they saw a miracle, right? Um, here's a few proofs. The men died that were trying to throw them in, right? The fire was that hot. Um, and then they, they walk out of the flames, and not even their clothes smelled of smoke. I can't go to a campfire or Garcia's without needing to air out my clothing. <laughs> but these guys came out of the fire not smelling of smoke. Um, it was a miracle of undeniable quality. I think the lesson there is that one of the reasons we can choose to devote our lives to God and choose to anchor ourselves to him is because with God, all things are possible. So all those things, all the places where maybe you casted out your anchor that aren't God, that you feel like are dragging you down, those things that you think are disqualifying you from the love of God, they are not impossible for God. Right? The pornography addiction is not impossible for God. Depression is not impossible for God. Jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness are not impossible for God. He can remove those anchors from your life. Every single thing you think is holding you back God can take care of in an instant. If you think about it, there was no buffer time for the Lord's protection for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? The three men died and the ropes burned away. 
but the three men didn't even have a, a whiff of smoke on them. The, fl- the fire that is within you is stronger than the flames that try to conquer you. So we can live a life anchored in faithfulness to God because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. So that leaves us, you know, where do you start? If this is the kind of life you want to choose, and I highly recommend it, (laughs) devotion to the Lord, where do you start? Um, I think for all of us, we, we start small, you know, we, we smart start with one choice. Um, you know, you need to ask yourself this question. Where is it in my life that I need to choose God today? Uh, I think about it in terms of, of starting like a running regime, right? Um, if you want to start running and you maybe want to get good at it, you don't start running five miles, you start by saying yes to tying up the laces and maybe going a half a mile or a quarter mile. Um, you start something that's, that's, that's small, and you want to build up endurance, right? Um, and, and, and you start when, when you're capable of doing so, so that when things get a little bit harder, you see a stretch of, of days where the forecast is in triple digits. You know, it, becomes, it becomes easier. Um, and then you want to build up that endurance. Um, for, I, I've thought of this analogy because for me, recently I've been trying to, to start running again. It's been something I've stayed away from for a while. Um, I was an athlete in high school and a little bit in college. And, but I, I developed these shin splints, and they always discouraged me from running. Um, but I decided recently I'm going to try again. And uh, so I got some good equipment, and I've just been starting small. You know, I, I choose to say yes to putting on the shoes. I choose to say yes to just going out and doing what I can do. I don't really have this huge goal in mind. I'm not really shooting to run a marathon. But what I want to do is to be able to run and run well. And I think for all of us, that's a really good analogy for our lives with Christ. Because you may not face a fiery furnace, and I hope you don't. But all of us want to live well. Lives devoted to him. All right, ministry team, if you guys would come up. And uh, everyone else, if you would stand, please. I just want to.